Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. And I love my church. I love, there's a lot of places I don't love, I'll say that. Um, maybe you can, you, you'll think of some places that you don't love, like this first place. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did you just get a feeling, like, in the pit of your stomach, like, oh, God, no. I... You know, there's just a place uh, down the road. I, I don't want to name Walmart out loud, but <laughs> I, there's just something about that place. Like, I will go someplace else, but I, I just, I don't like going there. I don't know why or what it is. I mean, 45 checkout lines, could you have more than three open? I don't know. Um, <laughs> just, you know, strategy. Maybe they should dig some ditches. Uh, just a thought. I, if you work at Walmart, I love you. God bless you. Uh, may God have favor on your life. <laughs> what about this next place? The DMV. <laughs> I'm always confused at which line to get in. <laughs> it just, you know, and then I've got to take a number. I don't know. I, just, it, I should read the instructions more, but you know how it is. You read like the first three lines. You think you figured it out. Then you stand there for a half an hour, and they say, yeah, you should have read the whole thing. You should have been the other line. Oh, all right. Can I just give? I just want you to take my money for crying out loud. There are other places I don't enjoy going. How about this next place? The emergency room. <laughs> I don't know too many people have like fond memories of the emergency room. I certainly don't. <laughs> I, I had pneumonia and bronchitis one time, and uh, the nurse said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a shot. I've, a lot, I've had lots of shots in my life, so I'm not, I'm not scared of needles. She's like giving me a, a pep talk. Now, I'm laying on my side. She says, okay, bend your knees. And just take normal breaths. And I'm just like, lady, just stick me already. And, and my wife and my pastor at the time were there. And all of a sudden I see them go. <laughs> and they looked at each other, looked at me, and I'm like, what in the world? And all of a sudden this lady poked me with a knife that was like this big. <laughs> I thought she was going to poke out my belly button. <laughs> um, apparently that's normal for... Uh, psychotic doctors, but um, <laughs> it hurt like crazy. Not a fond memory. I don't like going to the emergency room or urgent care for that, fa- that fact because do you feel like you come out sicker when you go to urgent care? All the people coughing and sneezing everywhere and like, oh, I'm going to catch six other diseases while I'm here. <laughs> and some of you, I, I'm just going to apologize for this next one, especially for men over 40. Next picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, moving on. <laughs> right, you go to the doctor sometimes. You just don't want to do it. It's not fun. It's not someplace you say, I would love to go see my doctor. I love all the doctors in the room, uh, by the way. But what about this place? Do you know what that is? You're, you're in that building right now, in <laughs> case, case you don't know. That's the view from out here from Google Maps or Google Street View. That's where you're sitting right now. Um, what, what feelings does that conjure up? What about people in our community who don't attend our church when they drive by here, if they don't attend any church? What feelings, what thoughts? Would they, would they love this place? When I say I love my church, what, what am I saying? I believe God wants us to love our church. I believe if we want to see greater things, we must love our church. Now, am I saying we have to love this building? Um, 
If you knew some of the things we had to deal with on a weekly basis, you would probably not love the building either. But when we say I love my church, it's not saying I love the building. When you say I love my church, you say I love people. I love the people of my church. I have a pastor friend, Todd Wagner, who is a pastor in Dallas, a big church in Dallas, and they have a beautiful facility. And he often shares that people will come up to him, especially at pastor's conferences, which I attend. He'll, people will come up to him and say, man, I love your church. And his response is, who did you meet? No, no, pastor, I didn't mean that. You're building. I love your church. It's so beautiful. And he'll say, I, I know that, but who did you meet? You said you love my church. Who did you meet? And I love that he's making a point. I kind of like that he's being a little sarcastic too, but <laughs> who did you meet? I, that's what we're talking about. When we talk about I love my church, we're talking about people because the church is not a building. It's not just a Sunday morning experience with the band and the preacher. It's not programs we're fond of or experiences that made an impact in our life. When we say, I love my church, we're saying, I love the people. And I love my church. And I don't just say that because I'm the pastor and get paid to. In fact, I don't say I love my church because it's my church as the pastor. I love Jesus' church. It's his church, and he lets me be a part of it. So when we say we love my church, we're loving the church that Jesus has given us the opportunity to be a part of. The church is oftentimes uh, referred to as it's where I have to dress up and and act a certain way. I have to act a certain way because I'm the pastor, and I have to dress a certain way because my wife sets out my clothes the night before. (laughs) Uh, I got to pick out my shoes. She gave me one pair to choose from, so... church, I think sometimes people feel like you have to have it all together. Uh, when you come in the doors, all the problems somehow disappear. And, and it, Surely when you walk in this place, you don't want to spill all your dirty laundry for everybody. But it isn't a place where you have to have all of life's problems figured out, where you have to sit and listen to the preacher even though he's really good. It's not a place where you. The church is who. It's not a where or a what. You are the church. You are the church. You are the church. I know you're all like it. Don't look at me. (laughs) Y'all are the church. Even a Texan can understand that, right, Jason? There you go. The church is people. Thank you, Brian. We see C2 as breaking the stereotype for people who've come to have other thoughts about what the churches, because of bad experiences or, or, or other reasons, they have these thoughts of church. We want to be the church, and we see us as a church that breaks that stereotype for people in our culture, where we become the real church talked about in Scripture. It talks about real people who have real problems. Uh, maybe I'm the only one, but I have issues. I, you know, I probably need to seek a professional at some point in time. But I have problems in my life. We don't have it all together. I create problems for my family that Darcy has to fix. No, we, we are not a perfect family. This church is not perfect. 
yet we strive to be more than the typical American church. I, I shared this a while ago, about 18 months ago, in a series called More Than a Church. You can check out c2church.com, and there's a whole podcast series about that. But talking about wanting to break out of what the, West, the typical Western American culture church is like, where it's, I come and get, I come and go. And not come and go on mission. I just come and, and feel good about myself. Where we're really more about a moralistic therapeutic deism. I know that's a huge word, but moralistic therapeutic deism simply means I try to live a good life. It's therapy. I feel good about it. And, and I believe in a, some sort of God or high power. So eh, I'll just call myself a Christian. I don't think that's what the church is called to be. We want to be more than that church. And that's not a... That's not a shot at any other church in our community. We can only control who we are and, and the impact that we make. And I encourage you, if you haven't joined us for our Discover C2 class, we have one coming up January 18th. It's from 4 to 6 p.m. The class really is about an hour and a half long, and we spend time together about the last half hour just talking and discussing. And this is the kind of the nuts and bolts. We'll talk a little bit more about what this more than a church idea is and, and your place in it. So if you're new or, or maybe haven't attended this, uh, this class, I encourage you. It's one of my favorite things to do. And so I encourage you, you can go online, c2church.com and register. And it's a free class, but we'd love to know if you plan on attending. But I love our church. I love that we're being more than a church. I love, like this next picture. This is the picture of church, not the building. This is the church. This is life change. This is a young man proclaiming identity with this church, this local body, and the greater body of Christ, of Christians throughout the world. He's identifying with the death, resurrection, burial, and resurrection of Christ through water baptism. That's what water baptism looks like. If you've never uh, experienced it here, uh, we have a, a tank, and we hold you under for a little while, but by the picture, <laughs> we let you up. But I, I love that. I love the picture of life change. To me, that, that's the church I love. Show the next picture. I love my church that's concerned about young 14-year-old girls over the sea in India. This little girl's name is Ariel. And she was caught in human trafficking. And through one of our partners, a church plant in India, they discovered her in the brick kiln yards, and she was also a sex slave. And you, the church, came together without a special offering, gathered the resources to purchase her out of slavery. Show the next picture. This is the day of her freedom. Isn't that awesome? Those doors, those doors behind her, this is our, our pastor in India. He had just unlocked the door had the key from the slave owner, opened her door. That's where she lived. That's where she slept every night. That's where the unthinkable happened. And this was her first day of freedom. And that pastor and his wife, they adopted Ariel. And every month we support him and we provide money so he can feed and educate her. And he can continue his work at the brick kilns and pastoring. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's the church I love. That's the church I want to be a part of and I'm proud to be a part of. I'm proud to be part of a, a, a church that's full of people who serve and, and grow in community, who give generously, who share God's love in mid-Missouri and around the world. And, 
If you haven't, this is another commercial. If you haven't gone to El Salvador with us yet, you need to. Our goal is to take 40 of you uh, with us to uh, El Salvador this summer, June 8th through the 18th. Uh, we, last, uh, last meeting we had about 30 people who came. I don't know if they're all committing, but we still have more room, more seats to fill. So we want you to go. Uh, our next meeting is January 18th. just going to be a 15-minute meeting immediately following the second service on the 18th. Um, and it's just informational. It's not a commitment meeting. But we would love for you to go. And there's some of you, we need more health care workers. Uh, uh, doctors uh, Fossil and Natalie Mesfin are going to be help leading our medical team. And so we need a few more medical workers. So if that's your calling or you've got any sort of experience, we would love for you to join that team. But you don't have to have any skills uh, like me. You can just go and, and help out wherever, push a broom, uh, do street ministry, whatever they might need. But it's going to be a, a life-transforming trip that I know you'll want to be a part of. And this is open for students as well. And we've, got, we've even got uh, 11 and 12-year-olds going uh, with their parents. That's the church I want to be part of, a church of, of the generations. Uh, here's what Jesus had to say about the church that he envisioned and kind of where we're going to launch this series from. His vision of this church that would later start in the book of Acts, he, he begins to talk about in the book of John. If you have your scriptures, you can go ahead and open your Bible up to John. Uh, the book of John is the fourth one in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You'll find it about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Uh, if you have your version app on your iPhone or your smart smart device, you can turn that on. If you scroll down, you'll find the live uh, tab. You click on that. Uh, if you have your locating service on, it'll find our notes. Um, otherwise, you can type in our zip code 65203 and the notes will come up as well. They'll also be on the screen. So John chapter 13, starting in verse 34 and verse 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's interesting that Jesus says, a new command I give you. This isn't a new command, Jesus. The Old Testament talks about forms of love, loving your neighbor. Jesus was often questioned about what or who my neighbor was because according to them and the tradition, if you weren't a Jew, you weren't necessarily my neighbor. If you didn't physically live next to me, you weren't my neighbor. If you didn't observe the, the laws and the commands and all the ceremonial things, and then I didn't have to love you as much. And there was levels of, of love. Who is my neighbor? Look to the person next to you and say, I love you. I love you. Play that video. That's right. I just had to play that video. It's Christmas, and I love you. Don't you hate it when pastors say, look to your neighbor and say something? Look at your neighbor and say, I hate that. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. And I love my church. And Jesus says, this new command I give you. When Jesus does something, he changes everything. Jesus changes the way they looked at the Old Testament commands of love. This isn't necessarily even new. It's new and and fresh, but it's not new to Jesus. If you look at his life throughout the Gospels, he's often showing them this new kind of lifestyle. You love your enemies. 
You pray for those who hurt and persecute you. Just a few uh, sentences before this, he's watching the feet of his followers, something a rabbi would never do. He's changing it up. It's new. And so this new command he's giving is to love one another. Submit yourself. Become a slave to those around you. And he demonstrated that by becoming a servant, touching the untouchable and loving the unlovable. And notice in this sentence, he doesn't say, love God or love me. He says the new command is to love one another. This would be evidence of the former. And it wasn't optional. You must love one another, he says. But what about this love one another business? How is that to take place? It's interesting as you read it, he says love one another. And then he goes to repeat himself. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Really, this whole thing is hinged on that phrase, as I have loved you. This, this is what it's all predicated on. As I have demonstrated love, as I have lived love, so you must also then, in the same way, love one another. Realize just verses before this, he's talking about giving his life as the atoning sacrificial lamb of the Passover, which was to come just a chapter later. They had no idea chapter 14 is about to come. And he's talking to his 12 disciples, his close followers, the people who would carry on his work. Love one another. The first verse of chapter 13 reads this way. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That phrase to the end is kind of interesting. In my studies, it demonstrated that in the Greek, it doesn't mean a length of time as if time had run out and Jesus had had kind of gone the 60 minutes right up until the end of playtime. But to the end meant to the limit, to the maximum ability. You could read it, to the end of himself, he loved people. At his own expense, he loved as much as one could possibly love. You know, a community is built uh, and established in, in boundaries that we call laws. And this was the new law for a new community. And they were familiar with the, the Ten Commandments. Many of our, you are as well. And if you're familiar with them, number one is have no other gods before you. But it really is understood that the, the Ten Commandments don't start with that, no other gods. It, it's actually a presupposition of a covenant based on the liberating act of God in bringing the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Gerald Borchardt says it this way. It is only when one understands the foundational liberating act of God for Israel that one recognizes the responsibility to obey the divine commands of the Ten Commandments. To forget the covenant is to set the commands in a sea of meaninglessness. Rules have to be contextualized to have meaning. The new rule of love was based on the Passover example of Christ's sacrificial life and death. That's talked about in those previous scriptures. The question, why should I obey, 
Why would they obey the Ten Commandments? Simply because they were a good set of moral rules? Or because they, there was a presupposition of a covenant relationship that God had set promises before them and said, I brought you out of slavery. Don't be a slave again. Obey these rules for your protection to obtain the promise. Obey. And so Jesus says, as I have loved, so you must love. Because of my covenant love for you, you must also love Borchardt goes on to say, to ask people to love one another is pointless if they do not understand the love of Jesus in his Passover death for them. Such love becomes philosophically a nice ideal without any root in reality. You can legislate no discrimination in the workplace based on a covenant of mutual respect, but you cannot make people love one another without the acceptance of the covenant foundation of the self-giving love of God for the world. The sacrifice wasn't the focus. It was the motive, as it is for us. Sacrificing without love is meaningless. And it's that love that stands in contrast to all other world religions that you love or you're nice to people because you want a good place in your next life, because you want to attain nirvana, because karma's a bad thing. Love until the rules are... Some of you picked up on that. All right. In other religions, it's love until they break the rules. Love until they hurt you. Love until something else. But Christ's example is love, period. And in many parts of our world, including the Middle East, love isn't even a thought. But this is a new era and a new community. We're expected to love because we are dearly loved children. We've been adopted into a family, and not of our own accord, not of our own deserving, but out of the gracious, self-giving love of Christ. This is the gospel, that you and I are united in this commonality, that we are unworthy, yet found loved. But when relationships are secondary, everything else becomes primary. That's why so many churches are divided over small issues of music choice and carpet color. So when sacrificial love becomes optional, everything becomes about my preference, about what I like. If we had a, a different kind of love, uh, I love Babbo's Restaurant just down the road. Hashtag I should get royalties for this uh, endorsement. Uh, Darcy and I love that restaurant. It, it's a great restaurant. And when we go, we get good service and we get good food. And, and the first time we went there, I'm like, I love this place. We're going to eat here all the time. I love that place. I also love my children. Is it the same kind of love? When I go to Babos, there's, there's an understanding. There's an exchange that's about to take place. And we both know it. They're going to give me good service and good food and I'm going to pay them for it. And I might give them a good review or a bad review. I will be a returning customer and bring others with me. So there's this exchange of commerce happening. But what about my love for my children? Is there an exchange happening? I mean, I, I hope they wash the dishes and, and, and do the laundry. Do I love them any less if they don't? 
I don't like them as much. (laughs) But I surely don't love them any less. It's handy when they help around the house, but it doesn't take away from the love that I have for my kids. And this is the covenant love that God has for us. I would give my life for my kids, not so much for a bowl of pasta. Jesus loved us and brought us into relationship, into this covenant relationship, into community. Oftentimes, church gets seen as a, as a, a, a relationship as a restaurant. It's a place I come to get something. There's an exchange. I attend, and in, in, in that, I, I feel good. I, I did some sort of good deed by attending, and so I, I, I get something in exchange. And, Pastor, you better entertain me because, you know, I dropped 10 bucks in the bucket earlier. We haven't taken offering yet, so hold on. Do we see that as an exchange? Is that the kind of relationship that the church should have? Or is it greater than that? Is it a covenant relationship? Oftentimes our expectations of what the church provides go unmet because The church was never meant to fulfill those needs. So in this moment Jesus is having with his disciples, he's going to test their motives. If they're following him for personal gain, he's about to drop the asterisk, the fine print on them. We're big big fans of the asterisk here because for us it means more than a church. There's fine print to who we are and what we do and how we operate as a church. And for Jesus, he's about to give this to the disciples. He says, in this way, by your love, everyone will know you are my disciples. By this, everyone will know you're mine if you love one another. Hmm. That's the test. Everyone will know. Churches are known for all sorts of things, all sorts of crazy things, too. We're known for what we're against. Known for musics and programs and buildings and preachers, religious observances. But are we known for love? Here's the deal. Jesus says, there's a new judge in town, and I'm not it. Put that scripture back up if you would. By this, everyone will know. Everyone. Everyone outside these four walls will know with this one test, if you love one another. The judge is not us, how we feel about ourselves. The judge is everybody who doesn't attend a church anywhere, who doesn't believe in Christ as we do. They are now the judges of whether we truly are the disciples of the one we proclaim to follow, the one Jesus Christ. God allows the world around us to judge us according to this one standard, by the way we treat each other. Campbell Morgan, uh, in the book, The Crises of Christ, says it this way, The measure in which Christian people fail in love to each other is the measure in which the world does not believe in them or their Christianity. It is the final test of discipleship according to Jesus. So when we mock and attack and gossip about each other, when we're bitter about someone else's careless thought or action or inaction, insensitivity, we risk that reputation. But when we defend each other, 
when we believe the best, when we extend grace and forgiveness, when we resolve conflict and hurt in a healthy way, we begin to to demonstrate whose disciples we are. And in the end, Christ himself will judge us according to that. And that's why we want to be more than the typical American church. We want to be known by our love. We want to be known for doing messy life because I don't know of any other kind of life there is. Life is just messy, but filled with grace and love. The courage and to risk and to change and to sacrifice. So how do we love one another? How are we going to walk this out? Over the next four weeks, we're going to explore that a little bit more as we love each other through community. This is what the Bible calls fellowship. It's relationship, but doing life together, as Jason talked about earlier. It's more than just names, but knowing people's names, that's a really great start, isn't it? Because names are important, because it's important that we are known to each other. And it might be simple, but I guarantee there are people sitting over here that you have no idea who these people are over here. And there are people sitting in the second service that you don't even know we have a first service, and there's a whole crowd of about 200 people that sit in here, first service. They warm your seats for you. You should be thankful. <laughs> Not too warm. You people in the middle, you kind of get the love sandwich with those people. So, all right, either way, we want you to do that at the end. We're going to get to know each other in community, and, and, and Pastor Jason's going to speak about that next week. Uh, we're going to talk about loving one another through serving, how God has supernaturally empowered each one of us uniquely to serve right here at C2 Church. We're going to talk about loving one another through giving. And yes, we're going to talk about money, but maybe not in the sense that you think about. We're going to talk about sharing, that our love wasn't to be hoarded within these four walls. Jesus wasn't saying, get together with a bunch of people who are just like you, who have mutual likes and dislikes, and then you love on each other and feel good about that. That's not church. That's a holy huddle. That's not in scripture. (laughs) Wow, I didn't even try to be funny, man. I'm just funny on accident. That's awesome. (laughs) So I'd love for you to stick with us over the next few weeks as we do this. My challenge to you is this. If you want to experience this love, this sense of I love my church, you can't wait for other people to do it for you or do it to you. Oftentimes, I think we come to something like this, this setting, and we say, well, if people love me, then I'll love my church. If I, if I feel a certain way, then I will do such and such. And yet the example of Christ is he gives before or in spite of not receiving anything in return. I can only control myself. So I've decided to love my church. The example of Christ wasn't ever found in Scripture where he's sitting along the side of the road. Hey, Jesus, what's wrong? Oh, nothing. Jesus, come on, you can tell us. Oh, well... I just don't feel love today. I mean, I just give and give. I mean, I fed a bunch of people. I do miracles all the time. And, and sometimes I just feel persecuted. Like, <laughs> people hate me. You know, all the disciples gather around him. Oh, there, there, Jesus. Jesus didn't have a pity party. When people hated him, he counted it a blessing. So our responsibility is to control who we can control, ourselves. Simply love. 
I guarantee if you begin to love in ways maybe that you haven't before, you step out, you begin introducing yourself, you begin to get involved in small groups and the activities of, uh, of C2, you begin to love on your own neighbors, you will discover the love that's talked about when we talk about I love my church. Man, I, don't, I, I could keep going there, but I'm going to wrap it up. Here's the great promise of it all. The great promise of Scripture, of this thing we call the gospel, the good news of Christ, is that you are already fully loved. Fully, completely, dearly beloved of God. Before you ever decided, or ever will decide to do anything for Christ, He loved you fully. That's the great promise for you and me. You didn't have to do a thing except believe in Him. Believe in that love. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me this morning? Perhaps that's you this morning. You need to accept that full, fully lovedness <laughs> that Christ has for you. You don't have to clean yourself up before he loves you. He already does. He's extended that invitation, and perhaps this morning you need to respond and simply say, Jesus, I accept that love, and I want to walk in relationship with you. Help me to learn what that means. This morning, if that's you, I'm going to pray for you, pray a blessing over our whole church, that we would all begin to walk in the newness, not of the new year, but that each day we are a new creation in Christ, the one who loved us. Jesus, thank you for each person who calls this their church or who is in the, even in this moment discovering what the church could be about and what you are all about, and I thank you. Thank you that you are leading us and that this the promise isn't in the new year, but it's in the, the promise of the Savior. And it's your new every morning. And I pray for those who feel far from you today, you draw them close. Even now as they say those words, Jesus, I believe in you and I, I want that love. Father, would you guide our hearts this year and bind us together as a community to accomplish your mission, to reach people for the cause of Christ, for eternity's sake. We love you. We thank you that you loved us so much that before we made a decision for you, you died for us, bringing us back to the Father in relationship. Bless your people today. It's in the name of Christ I pray. Amen. Hey, we are so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information about a deeper relationship with Christ, we would love to hear from you. Simply email nextsteps at c2church.com. 